755 is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty. Welcome back to 755 is real. I'm David O'Brien, Braves writer for The Athletic, and I'm with uh, former Braves reliever, my co-host Eric O'Flaherty out in Seattle. What's up, Eric? Not much, Dave. How you doing? Good, man. I was going to start with, uh, obviously, with Freddie Freeman winning MVP last night, which was not unexpected. But before we get to that, there was some breaking news this morning, just before we uh, came on to record this. Marlins, with the bold move of hiring Kim Inc. as GM, the first female GM, first Asian-American GM. Um, I think it's a great move. I'm bold move by Jeter. What, what did you think of that news? Hey, if she's if she's good at her job, why not? Yeah, she's been around for 30 years in baseball, and I've never heard one word about her other than she really knows the business, knows what she's talking about, uh, highly qualified. She was an assistant GM with the Dodgers for a long time uh, and was in the front office of the Yankees for a long time, worked in the baseball office, MLB office, AL office, started out as an intern with the White Sox like 30-some years ago, so... It's not like this is a token hire, I don't think, where they're just trying to be the first to do this or whatever. I think Jeet obviously knows her really well from her time in the, with the Yankees and believes she could do the job because you're not going to make that hire and be the first to do it if it's not someone you're totally certain of is ready to do the job. No, I mean, you've been hearing her name for years in different different jobs that she's at least been considered for. So Yeah, and, and, the, and, the, and the Marlins also are at a point in their – you know, development and uh, in, in their rebuild that, again, you're not going to take that risk unless it's something you're ready to do. You think it's ready to step in and take them to the next level. I mean, they're not – it's not like they're just starting to rebuild. They're in a pretty good position now with the young players they have. Yeah, I mean, and, and working for the Dodgers and seeing what they've done, you know, you got to think she's yeah. picked up a few things from being there. Yeah, so good move, bold move by uh, Jeter, and I think it's uh, probably past time that it happened, you know. Uh, I think it's a little different than, say, being an NFL team hiring a female coach. I think that's a different thing that you have to get past. Some obstacles are built in with some some reluctance from some players yeah. to probably listen or whatever. I think that's a totally different situation than being a GM, though, in baseball. Well, I think, you know, with coaching, the number one thing that players respect is having done it. You know, I mean, right. you just you automatically get a pass and you get credit for everything you're saying. And it, it's right. definitely an uphill battle for guys that didn't play. Um, but I think the GM is a different thing. You know, you're making decisions. You're not necessarily trying to to speak from experience or teach from experience or, or teach in general. You know, you're trying to make moves to make an organization better. And if she's done a great job everywhere she's been and keeps getting considered for these jobs, I mean, it almost feels like it was just a matter of time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a set of skills to being a GM that goes beyond, far beyond, uh, you Playing know, having field played experience. the game. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Especially nowadays as, as uh, sabermetric uh, intensive as everything's become, uh, and yeah, being able can, to put if you can hire somebody that worked at Yale and never played a day of baseball in their life, you know why can't you hire a woman? Exactly, and being able to, I think it's more that job is so much about being able to have you know so many balls in the air at once and being able to yeah. handle so many different things and lead a staff. Obviously, you got to be a leader to, to be a GM. You can't uh, delegate everything. No, no. So I mean, it's going to be really interesting just to see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, it'll be closely followed, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, let's get to the news of the day that everybody uh, is talking about in Brace Country, and that's Freddie Freeman doing what, uh, you know, what I think both of us realized several weeks ago was inevitable, especially after, for me, when Tatis fell back, I yeah. thought that was when Freddie had it clinched. 
I didn't think there was enough time that Betts, that uh, Mookie uh, Betts could catch him. And I thought Freddie and, and Freddie kept it going for the entire year too. I, I you know, after his uh, slow start, I thought Freddie had, had really separated himself from the field once Tatis kind of pulled back a little bit. Yeah, he did. And it- I think it's, you know, with Freddie, it's for me, it's just felt like a matter of time. He wound up getting hurt in one of his best seasons. But yeah, 17. He's the type of player you watch and, and you just feel like this is an MVP caliber player. And at some point he's going to get one. I'm glad he finally did. He deserved it. Yeah, he gets it in his 10th season, 11th season, if you kind of September call up in 2010. But his 10th full season. Um, and at age 31, turned 31 in September. So it was his age 30 season. And. I'm like you. I think it was inevitable because he was always up there on the periphery. He, had, but he never had a top three finish. But he had a four, a six, an eight, and homers. I think home runs were costing him not hitting enough homers. Yeah, and the year that you're talking about when he got hurt, 2017, yeah. he was. I mean, he was off to a phenomenal pace yeah. through 47 games that year. Had like 14 bombs, had a ribby a game. Was hitting well over three hundred. OPS was way over a thousand. I think it was about twelve hundred, and he was on pace that year. And then he gets hit with a fastball on his wrist and breaks it, and he misses seven weeks. So that you know he wasn't the same when he came back as far as power. And even and if you think, are after missing seven weeks, you know you're not winning yeah, it. Yeah, and I don't think his power was really back until not the following year because he only hit twenty two homers the next year, but led the league twenty nineteen forty right or twenty eighteen yeah. yeah. Led the league with 44 doubles, but that was the following year, 2019, was when he had the, the big home run year. I think that's when his power really came back. And even that year, the last month, he had one homer. He had, he didn't homer after the first, what, yep. f- I think September 1, he hit a homer and didn't, didn't hit another when he had the bone spurs in his elbow. So he had a couple of years where I thought maybe he could have won an MVP where he got hurt with the broken wrist and the bone spurs. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm glad he finally did it, though, because he's, he's one of those guys that he's the best player on the field a lot. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it, most of the times you're playing in a series and you walk away from it and, and Freddie's the guy that stood out as just the best, most consistent player on the field. And, you know, it, for me, it just matter of time, like I said. So I think he could have easily without the injuries, but injuries happen, but he could have easily had three top three finishes in the last four years. Yeah. And probably been MVP or runner up in, in, you know, at least two of those years. So, I don't think it's his last one. I mean, I know that's, a, that's saying a, that's saying a lot for a guy who's going to be 31 next year, but I don't think it's his last one. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's right there in the running for it next year. Him and Betts again. And, you know, same guys, Tatis. I, I think those will uh, – if Freddie stays healthy, I just think he's too good right now where he's at in his career, where it's all come together and and and, and as strong and quick and fast as he still is uh, – I think he's right there next year in 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 the MVP race to the end for quite a few years. I think because if you yeah. watch him play, he, there's never anything he does that looks strenuous. You know, it, everything looks easy and smooth. His swings easy. His swings short and compact. He's not a guy like if you're watching him get into his 30s and he was swinging like Javier Baez this whole time. Uh-huh. Then you start to think, you know, maybe his body's going to break down. But but Freddie's a guy, you know, like, you don't see him pull hamstrings or have these mm-hmm. weird injuries. He's had bone injuries, you know, like a broken wrist or right. stuff like that. But I could see Freddie, he's one of those guys that I've watched and I've always thought he's going to be good till his mid to late 30s. So, yeah, he could definitely win another one. I think he's the opposite of Bellinger. You look at Bellinger, take those oh, cuts, yeah. and you think, <laughs> yeah. how long can he do that? Or you Bryce know? Harper. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. How long can you swing like that before you start to wear down and you start stuff starts to snap? 
And that's the Freddy's stuff not that, like that you know you get away with that early in your career, and then it kind of piles up on you. You watch Pujols. I mean, Pujols mm-hmm. has been running on glass around the bases for yeah. however many years now. I don't see Freddie ending up like that. You know, I, I see him. I see him playing until his late thirties and, and maintaining production pretty well, especially the way he hits. Plus, he keeps himself in such great shape, man. He's like, yeah, without having to be a workout fiend, he's just uh, you he's know, not. he's smart. Yeah, he's smart. He's like six four, six five, and he weighs like two twelve. You know, not yeah. two forty. He's not carrying around that extra weight like a Pujols. You know, a lot of these guys are up two thirty, two forty. He's not like that man at all. He's not. He's not hauling a lot of weight around the bases. Yeah, and he's not doing it. You know, his power comes from leverage, from his height and how he leverages with his swing. You know, it's not something that when his strength starts fading, he's still going to be able to do everything he's doing on the field. Which you know, that's kind of what happens when you get into your mid thirties. You know, you just feel weaker and and you're not as quick. Yeah. But just the way he hits, it's so it's so short and compact. I mean, I don't know. I, I've seen people debating whether he's a Hall of Famer or not, and I don't know how it's even a debate if he stays healthy. Oh yeah, I think it's just a matter of staying healthy. If he plays yeah. five more seasons like this, yeah, and, and they don't even have to be as good as this year. Nope. If he has no, three more seasons, this year. right? He has three year, more. Two ninety five, two ninety five uh-huh. and twenty. Yeah, exactly. Because you look at his career numbers. If he just keeps those up, he's a hall of know, famer for me. Yeah, he's like you're looking at a guy who's over three hundred average. Uh, the uh, OBP is up what close to three ninety. Sluggins over five hundred. Yep. I mean, you know, not far off Chipper's numbers. You know, Chipper was Chipper's numbers were better, but not far that not that much better. Chipper was there for a long time. Yeah, <laughs> and I, you know, I'm, I'm bummed I didn't get to see Chipper in his prime. I, I didn't get to play with him in his prime. I saw him in his prime, but he was. I was telling somebody the other day they were asking me about him, and I said he's the best player I've played with, and I played with some good guys, but you know, maybe not during their peak. You know, yeah. I didn't get to see Chipper in his peak, but I got to watch Freddie in his prime and. Yeah. I haven't seen a better player, you know? So, I mean, that's why it's hard for me to understand why it's even a debate. If I can play 10 years and think this is the best everyday player I've played with, I don't know how it's even a conversation that he might not be a Hall of Famer, but it's tough, uh, it's, you know, it's a tough club to get into, I guess. Of the guys that I've covered in 26 seasons of doing this, the guys I've covered on the teams I've covered, the only Miggy. two that I would say were as good, or I didn't cover Miggy. I came, I left oh, Marlins right before okay. he joined him. The only two that I've covered that were as good or better than Freddie Chipper, he's the best player I've ever covered, yeah. all around player. Yeah. Uh, and Gary Sheffield. Chef, yeah. He was phenomenal. Um, the thing is, with, uh, I, I, uh, I, I was covering the Marlins uh, when Chipper in 99, I was covering the Marlins. And those two or three years there, Chipper to me was, I mean, that was also when Pujols was, you know, obviously, the, probably the best player in the game and bonds, you know, but, uh, Chipper has some tough competition, (laughs) but facing when you place, when you face the Braves in a three or four game series, though, every time Chipper came to the plate, it's kind of like Acuna. Every time Chipper came up and he had that cockiness, that arrogance, he wasn't flamboyant like uh, Acuna, but he had the same kind of cockiness, borderline arrogance. And it was good. I mean, it's the kind of, if he's on your team, you You love love that. But if if you're on the other team and you're watching, you're like, he gets under your skin like the Mets because he's so good. And he knows it. But he knew it. (laughs) And he knew it. so much when they know it. But God, when he came up to the plate in a big situation, he is the absolute last guy you wanted up there. And I think in that way, he's like Freddie. That's how Freddie is for me. You know, I played with Josh Donaldson when when he was 
at his best in Oakland and, and went on to become even better, you know, with Toronto. But I still felt like, you know, in a big situation, uh, Donaldson might get a little emotional or try to do too much. Yeah. Um, when Freddie comes up in those big situations, you want to be on his team. You know, when he's on the other team and he comes up, you're just – he might not get it done, but it is going to be a damn battle. Every single time it's going to be a really, really tough uh, at bat. Um, and, and that's just – that's how I look at Freddie is he's the last guy you want up with the game on the line if you're not on his team. Yeah, and the average with runners in scoring position bears yeah. that out. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Because he'll take yeah. a single the other way. Yeah, or take a walk. Yep. I mean, his OBP with runners in scoring position is insane. And this year, the slugging was insane. Um, so, Fre- Freddie, I think we both knew it was going to be – he was going to win, obviously. I thought it was going to be close to unanimous, but I didn't know it was going to be this close. He got 28 of the fir- 30 first-place votes. I figured it would be about 24, 25. I thought maybe more of the West Coast people would vote for him. But that tells you something about how overwhelming his season was because – you got to remember the people in the Central and West divisions, they didn't even see Freddie play this year. They just saw his highlights on ESPN or, Bay- or MLB Network. That's how it's always been. I, I think that's another thing that hurts his stardom, I guess, is one is, you know, not playing in that Yankee or Dodger market that he would just blow up in. But also, you know, his it, he's not he doesn't do a lot of stuff that, that people want to see. You know, he's not doing the bath that shows and all up that on the highlights that shows up on the highlights. Right. You don't, you know, his opposite field doubled win the game. It's, right. it's not that sexy. You know, he might, he might be right. off balance and just flick it in the gap. Uh, it's, it's not the huge bat flip Homer and walk halfway to first base that, that really gets you that notoriety, mm-hmm. you know, that gets you on the highlights. He's the fifth Braves player to win MVP during the franchises, Milwaukee and Atlanta eras. And the reason I add Milwaukee is because Hank won his only MVP in 1957 in Milwaukee. He only won one, but he had seven top three finishes and 13 top 10 finishes. And I looked it up last night to see who won the years when he finished third. Not surprisingly, it was Sandy Koufax one year, Don Newcomb one year, so it was two pitchers. They had overwhelming seasons. And then Ernie Banks won back-to-back years when when, uh, Hank finished third. Dang. So there, there was more, uh, you know, people talk about big, big market bias and, and New York bias. And, you know, th- there was more of that back then yeah, than there is now. Cause those were the teams that people saw on TV or those were the teams where they had more voters. So I think uh, uh, like an Ernie Banks, for instance, probably he had phenomenal years. Those years, the stats were right there with Hanks. And you didn't but have Hank the sabermetrics and stuff back then. Huh? Right. You didn't have that. Hank was in the Milwaukee and Atlanta markets. Yeah. So, you know, so to have seven top three finishes is pretty phenomenal too. But yeah, you know, what people forget about Hank when they think he only won one MVP is go back and look. The thing about him that's so extraordinary is how great he was for so long. So long. He might not have been the best player in the league, but he was one of the three or four best players in the league for like 15, 18 years. Well, he's I'm looking at his page right now, and he's got MVP <laughs> votes every season since yes. when he turned 40. <laughs> exactly. It's uh, crazy insane. how good he was for so long. And what what what's uh, what I thought was always crazy too is he never had a 50 homer season. All-time home run leader. No, but look how many times. Done. Yeah. But look how many times he had forty-four. His number. <laughs> Dang, that's crazy too. Isn't that crazy? He led the league, I think, three times with forty-four homers. Never 45, 44. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's the type of guy Freddie's going to be too, and especially you know maintains yep. his health. When you pile it all up at the end, I think he's going to be a no doubter. A lot of 30, 35 homer seasons for Freddie. There's yeah. going to be a lot more too. I think. It, yeah, because that's yeah. Well, he's only he's had now. Freddie's only broke thirty um, one two times. Right, but he had the thirty eight. I think he's more of that power hitter now, though. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like like this year, for instance, I think he would have had forty some. Well, just moving into Sun or uh, Truist Park too, you know. I mean, you yeah. got to think how many home runs he lost right. in 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 in that right Absolutely. center gap that that turned into, you know, that's why he's hitting 44 doubles one year. So a few of those doubles. 25 to 28 homer years would have been 30 then. 31, yeah. Yeah. You got to figure yeah. he lost five a year. So he's the fifth Braves player and the fourth since the team moved to Atlanta. Obviously, at Del Murphy won back to back 82, 83. And then you had uh, TP1 in the worst of first season in, in uh, 91 when he edged out Barry Bonds, which was the only year in a four-year span that Bonds did not win it. And all those that think that was a fluke or people just voted on TP because they liked him and hated Bonds, well, I mean, there was something to that. Yeah. But, <laughs> but the following year, TP finished second. That's what people don't realize. Most people don't remember. He finished second to Bonds the next year, and TP led the league in hits that year, the 199. So it was after then that the injury started piling up for TP. Yeah, I I just think Freddie's going to be different injury wise. You know, I mean, no, he's oh, had yeah. the wrist, but I just I yeah. when I watch him play and move and everything he does, how flexible he is, I, I just think he's I feel like he's going to be good for a long time. And the last one before Freddie, the last uh, Braves MVP, of course, was his mentor, his friend Chipper Jones in '99. So it had been 21 years, and Freddie. Last night afterwards, we talked to him about 20, 30 minutes after the announcement. I, oh, and I thought it was so cool, the announcement last night. Because of the pandemic, uh, the nor- the guy that usually does it, who's the, uh, Jack O'Connell, who's the BBWA uh, treasurer, he's the guy that normally makes the announcements on the show, right? But he didn't want to travel right now, so he stayed at home. So what they did was they had former players. In the case of the Cy Young, they had former Cy Young winners do it. Greg Maddox presented the NL Cy Young this year. And for MVP last night, they had Josh Donaldson give the AL MVP, and they had Dale Murphy give the NL MVP. That's so cool. Murph is the one who presented it via Zoom to Freddie Freeman. How cool was that? They had to know when they were setting that up. That yeah, was pretty yeah. Good. <laughs> that wasn't an accident. They're not going to have Murph give it to Mookie Betts. <laughs> no, no, that'd be bad. <laughs> Murph, Murph would have read that. It would have been like <laughs> – it would have been like the time. Uh, if I was Murph, I would have just read the wrong name. I would pick my own <laughs> if they if they said it was Betts. <laughs> there must be a misprint here. And he would have just yeah. say, they would have had to break away. <laughs> um, but Freddie said afterwards when we talked to him, he was like, you could tell he was still like kind of. He, didn't get uh, he was shocked. Yeah. I yeah, couldn't believe that either because I was like, man, you had to know. But I guess yeah, when you're in that position, you don't know for sure until it's over. Right. He had to know. You know, but they didn't tell him officially. And I think you still, you don't want to get your hopes. But he's, he was like, unlike I ever see him in games, he was still like nervous. And he said, yeah. my hands are still sweaty. And I don't think his hands get sweaty in games. He said, it's just surreal. It really is. He goes, all the emotions are running crazy. He said he worked out with Justin Upton and with his cousin, Freddie's cousin, uh, yesterday morning. In, they're out in LA or in Orange County, Corona Del Mar. And they worked out. In the morning, he said, "I was fine then." And then after they finished, he came. They had lunch, and that, then he started thinking about it. And he started. Yeah. I said, "I started getting so nervous." 
and he was getting like sweaty hands and shaking and that kind of stuff. I'll tell you what, I don't get jealous much, but watching his son hug him after he won that thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is, that's something I'm jealous. Of. That is probably the coolest moment you could have is his son runs around the couch and gives him a big hug winning the MVP. That yeah. was cool. So he got 28 of 30 votes. Mookie Bat was, Bats was the runner up, got the other two first place votes. Marcel Ozuna. They had a couple other Braves up here. I voted for Ozuna and Acuna. I had them, I think, fifth and ninth. They finished sixth and twelfth. Uh, so the Braves had three of the top twelve in the MVP, MVP balloting, and Max Fried and Dansby Swanson also got one tenth vote, tenth place vote apiece. So the Braves and they finished in a five way tie for eighteenth. So the Braves had five guys oh. in the top, what, 18 or top 23, however you want to put it. That's Acuna's pretty impressive. Get one for sure. He's, he's got to win one. I think But so. it's hard. It, I mean, it's just it, Freddie taking this long, being as yep. good and consistent of a player as he is, it shows you how, how hard it is to get that thing. I think that's, you know, that's why he was so nervous because you, you might only get one shot. Hey, Hank Aaron winning one, mm-hmm. arguably, is one of the greatest three players of all time in my book. He won yeah. one MVP. Who's got the most all time? I wonder that. Oh, it's Bonds. Bonds, how many's he got? Uh, five, uh seven or eight? Dang. <laughs> well, I but, mean, he was hands down the best player in the game for a while. Right, and his credit, he won four pre steroids. Yeah. So, you know, One, I'll two, give him credit three. for that. Yeah, he's got at seven. Least, at least pre, we know he was on steroids. They won another four as the home run hitting monster. Well, when yeah, the OPS the, went up to like thirteen hundred, it's I mean, age thirty. There's a, there's a switch. Thirty age thirty seven. <laughs> you can see that switch kind of flip. <laughs> it's hitting seventy three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's got the most, and then and what? Clemens has got the most size, right? I don't know that. Yeah, uh, Randy, and Randy Johnson's got a bunch. And Greg's obviously got four in a row. So yeah, Clemens um, has four, five Cy Youngs. That's pretty crazy. Clemens, yeah. Again, again, the guys yeah. with the most size and the most MVPs are not going to be in the Hall of Fame, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's um, a whole other discussion. Yeah, right. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, Freddie said, I asked Freddie, I said, you probably think Ozuna deserves to be a little higher than that, right? I mean, Ozuna, you got to remember, led the league in home runs and RBIs with 18 and 56 and hit through 338 any yeah. other year. You're like, wait a minute, the guy that hit 338 and led the league in home runs and RBIs finished sixth in the MVP balloting? <laughs> well, it's hard to do it as a DH. It is, and he played DH most of the year, 38, 39 games. Yeah. So it is hard to do it as a DH. Uh, but Freddie said, yeah, I would say so. He was amazing to watch. When you lead the league in homers and RBIs like he did – that's just a special year. And then to top it off, hitting 335, 338. What an amazing year he had. He's the, he's the reason I'm here yeah. and Ronald in front of me. I had damage around me. And having a right, left, right, at the, he's talking about at the top of the lineup, yep. with the three-batter rule, it's really hard to bring in a lefty, especially with Darno hitting, hitting fourth and the way he swung it this year. He said, I just had more opportunities for damage. That's because of Ronald, Marcel, and Travis. That's Freddie being – Freddie, you know, giving passing around the credit where his credit is due. Uh, but there's also some truth to it, too. Yeah, he's he not did stretching have, that at all. I mean, as, if you look right. at what he did with Donaldson behind him the year before, he hit 39, you know, it's, it's, or 38. It's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of truth to that. 
So you put you put Ozuna behind him, and then Darno coming out of you know taking his career to a new level. He's hitting fourth. I you know I don't think enough was made of it by me or no. other people when when the Braves won four Silver Sluggers last year last week. But not only did they win four Silver Slugger awards, the first four guys in their lineup won yeah. Silver Slugger awards. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how yeah. great is that? Yeah, and that's why you know that's why you got to really consider signing Ozuna back or, or having that presence behind him, not just you know for what that guy himself does, but what it does for Freddie. You know, it, it allows him to really absolutely be a different player. Yeah, I mean, they've gotten so fortunate two years in a row with the one-year contracts, guys hitting behind Freddie with Donaldson and Ozuna. I don't know that you can count on doing that again. A one-year deal? No. One-year deal. maybe this year. Maybe this offseason. And having a guy coming off a down year or an injury and coming in to restore his value and doing exactly that, I just don't think you can gamble and have that happen three years in a row. That's just too hard to do. That's asking too much. I don't even know who's floating around that could offer that. Yeah, there's really not anybody that stands out to me like a Donaldson was coming off the year he had when a lot of us thought he might be done, you know, because of his because of his calves. And look at the year he had this year with Minnesota, by the way. Was it, and yeah. then <laughs> and then Azuna, who had two good but not great years with the Cardinals after that phenomenal year with the Marlins. And a lot of us wondered, is he ever going to have another year like he had with the Marlins? Or was that a fluke year? Because that was the outlier in his career before this year. So yeah. really – both you knew those he'd guys offer did exactly what they wanted. Yeah. I mean, you knew he'd offer a presence, but you didn't know it was going to be what it was. No. Nobody could have predicted that. Nobody. Nobody. Um, so Murph presented the award to him. Freddie had his father, his stepmom, his aunt, his brother, his son, Charlie. Were, they were the they were the five with him in, at the at the at the at the mansion. I think I can call that an ocean resort. Mansion. <laughs> Four <laughs> yeah, seasons. That's the Freeman Resort, <laughs> Villa Freeman. <laughs> With his infinity pool. Uh, he finished with 410 points to bets, 268. Two riders from each National League city. Um, Ten deep ballot. I think a lot of times people, you know, people jump on this uh, this uh, MLB bias thing. And they don't realize there is no bias in these awards when there's two voters from each city, you know? Yeah. That's why a guy like Christian Yelich can win it in Milwaukee one year. Freddie wins it the next year. There's no there's no bias towards the Yankees in these awards. Sure, they're on TV all the time, and if a Yankee does really well, they're going to get seen more. But that's kind of an old school old thing that happened in the old days when those teams were, did really have most of the good players and were on TV all the time. And most of the voters for Hall of Fame were original back in the day, way back in the day. Uh, a vast majority of the voters from those for markets. the Hall of Fame, but yeah, came from those markets. That's all changed. So it really isn't as much bias as there used to be. Well, that's good. Yeah. Like and if Murphy, for instance, had played his career with the Yankees, there's no doubt in my mind that he'd He's been in the Hall of Fame. Fame. Yeah. There's no doubt in my mind Andrew Jones would have too. And I know his batting average is low and all that, but there's no doubt in my mind that a 10-time Gold Glove winner with 400 and some home runs a 10 straight gold gloves, maybe the greatest center fielder ever, would be in the Hall of Fame if he played his career with the Yankees. Not to mention hitting in that park. Yeah. yeah. You know, the yeah. numbers you're going to put up there are going to be, you know, I, I don't think that gets considered enough by itself. It's just playing Turner Field versus Yankee Stadium. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and, and these days with analytics being what they are and, and every, people pay more attention to the war and everything that, that Andrew accumulated and, uh, I just think he had to start out at such a low point in the Hall of Fame voting that it's going to be tough. 
he's going to might have to rely on the on the on the era committee, which is a shame because I think he belongs in it. But I've, you know, well they'll Fred put him McGriff- in because every player says that he's the best center fielder yeah. they've ever seen. And when, when guys are saying that about you, I just I don't understand how anybody that can be the best people I've ever seen doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. I don't think you can look at Ozzie Smith and look at how easily he got in the Hall of Fame for doing exactly what Andrew did at the shortstop position. Right. But Ozzie did it without offense until late in his career. He really couldn't hit much at all. And he wasn't, you know, never, never a great hitter at all. Andrew was a, was a power hitter. And early in his career, he hit for average and stole bases. I wonder if Andrew would have made it, you know, how Jim Edmonds used to almost slow down so he'd yeah. have to dive. You know, I think right. Andrew made it look too easy out there in center field. I think there's something to be said for that for sure. Eric, let's hear from today's sponsors. What made Freddie's season all the more impressive, and I think COVID. a lot of voters realize this, was how it started with him on in yeah. a sick bed, literally, a week before the season began, two weeks before the season began with COVID-19. Unlike a lot of guys who tested positive and were asymptomatic, Freddie, along with what Scott Kingery uh, with the Phillies, had symptoms, and Freddie had them really bad. I mean, he yeah. had the headaches and the huge, the high fever. He had a hundred and four point five fever one night. The night he said he prayed to God not to take him away. Man, he was scared. Yeah, a week later, you're raking in the big leagues. So yeah, he missed. Uh, you know, he was out. He, said, he, he, had, he had three days with high fever, four days with a, with a dizziness and fatigue, and then it took him nine days after he was symptom free. It took him nine days before he finally passed back to back negative, had negative uh, COVID tests, and was cleared to rejoin the team. At that point, they had five days left before the season. He had so so he goes what three and a half months during the break, during the shutdown which i don't think he hit much live at all out there when he was with his wife and kid in Corona del mar unlike I was some guys into a screen by his pool yeah unlike some guys who were going out facing live pitching at the local juco or like some guys here with the braves were facing braves pitchers you know at at a local uh, high school freddie wasn't doing that so he had the three and a half months shutdown and then he missed two uh, two and a half weeks of the three and a half week uh, summer restart camp so he has three exhibition games, two exhibition, two exhibition games against the Marlins, and three intra-squad games. Five days of live pitching, and he's in there facing Degrom on opening day. Yeah, and you just you know you see what how hard of a season it was for a lot of guys to get going and and, yes. and do it. You know, like, like Yelich. Yelich, I mean, had a terrible season, mm-hmm. and he's one of the best players in the game. I think that just more than anything, it just shows you. What a natural Freddie is. You know, it's like riding a bike for him. His swing's so simple. He can, I, I feel like he could roll out of bed right now and hit the ground, even if he's taking a few weeks off. And Freddie told us at the time that he only lost a pound. Well, he admitted last night, finally, that he lost eight pounds. So he yeah. went from 212 to 204 pounds. So he's already a pretty slender guy, you know, at 6'4. Yeah. At 204, you know, there were some people that that commented, a couple of uh, people on the highlights on MLB Network, I remember Harold Reynolds saying something, saying he looked skinny when he came back. And I think it took him a while to get, obviously, to get his legs under. He said it took him a while to get his legs under because he was times where he said where he would he would go back like covering first on pickoff throws and have to put his foot back or whatever. And he got dizzy a couple of times, he said. You know, in that first week, first two weeks. It's so incredible to, what he did. So to end up the season hitting a career best 341, albeit in 60 games, his 341 led the majors with 37 extra base hits, 13 homers, played all 60 games, drove in 53 runs, 
had a four is he had career bests in OBP 462, slugging percentage 640, and OPS 1102. He was second in the majors in each of those categories, the slash line, to Juan Soto, who played 13 fewer games than Freddie. And in a 60 game season, 13 fewer games, you know, that's oh, like yeah, missing that's, more than that's, that's like missing, yeah. missing what, seven weeks? Yeah, that's like missing 45. Yeah. So that's pretty significant. Um, batting with runners in scoring position. We, you were talked about Freddie earlier. Freddie hit 423 this year with runners in scoring position. He had a 1468 OPS in those. It was nearly a hundred points higher than the next best in the majors was Soto's. I mean, well, that's that's just what I'm talking about, though. Like you know, when you want, if there's any hitter you can pick on the Braves that you don't want to face with the game on the line, I mean, it's Freddie for me mm-hmm. because it's it's gonna because he can hurt you to any part of the field. There's there's no way to pitch the guy. You know, you have to you. He's one of those guys that's so damn good. You actually have to move. You have to play the cat and mouse with him. You know, you you got to go away. You got to come in. You have to mix it up. And if you make one mistake, he's gonna he can hit it. He can pull the ball. He can go the other way. You know, he's just so hard to pitch to, and he never gives away at bats in those big situations. And that that's why, for me, I admire him so much as a hitter, is because it's, there's just no way to pitch him in those big situations. There's, there's just nowhere to go. You just got to hope he doesn't do his thing. I asked him about joining that select group that he joined of Braves MVPs, and he said. It's amazing to be able to play with Chipper, to learn from him, to have TP as a coach and a guide to really help me play the game the right way, to learn from him. Dale Murphy has been around spring training, and he's a big influence on all of us. So to be in the same class as them and Hank Aaron and all those kind of guys, it's really hard to put into words right now. He said he was speechless. He, uh, Terry, TP won his MVP in his age 30 season, just like Freddie. But TP was kind of nearing the end of his best years at that point. Like I said, uh, you know, he started breaking down from from the wear and tear. Whereas we're not seeing that in Freeman at all. And TP stays in contact with Freddie all the time. You know, he was his, he was his hitting coach when Freddie came up in 2010. Uh, TP was still the hitting coach at that point, so he had him in you know spring training, and then when he came up. And I'm going to write something about this later, but TP said he had this this debate with other guys in the organization, including Sherholtz, about who was the best guy because everybody was paying so much attention to Jason Hayward after he hit all those bombs over the center field wall at, and, yeah, and, and broke car windows at spring training. Everybody was focusing on Hayward, and and, and, and TP said he talked to Sherholtz some other and says, we're talking about the wrong guy, the wrong one, because, you know, he was he was side-by-side side with Freddie when they were brought over to camp and brought yeah. to camp at age 19. TP said from day one, he knew Freddie was the guy with that swing he had. He said he knew that he was going to be the long-term guy. Uh, anybody that TP's put his stamp on, you know, he was mm-hmm. talking about Simmons before he got there. He was talking yep. about Acuna. Anybody that, that TP said, um, well, I was with the Braves, that he said, you got to look at this guy. I mean, he was pretty much nails on it. But I remember watching Freddie. Um, I, I had a rehab start. And, you know, it, it was all the hype about uh, Jay Hay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Freddie didn't hit the majestic bombs. I mean, it's the same thing that we're talking about that doesn't get him on all the highlights now. You know, it's, it's not quite as sexy and doesn't draw your attention, but I remember going down and, um, pitching in a rehab game in, in Gwinnett and I'd heard about Freddie. I knew he was good. And then I watched his at bats and he just didn't belong in AAA. I mean, he was never off balance and he was just peppering balls in the gap. He didn't mm-hmm. do anything that you're going to go tell stories about, but his at bats were just so damn good. 
I remember just that? that was 2010, right before he right. got called up. Right. And, you know, I'd heard about him and I watched him play defense. I was like, shit, this guy's a hell of a player. You know, it was kind of the same thing. It's like, why haven't I heard more about him? You know? Well, get this, because I'm talking to TP two days ago. And TP goes, 2010, they were looking to add uh, a bat to the lineup. You know, you guys were in that wild card chase. Yep. Uh, and they were looking to add a bat got to the Derek lineup. Lee. Right. And you were looking at tra- trading guys. You were, they were, had a bunch of stuff, irons in a fire. Talk about trading some of their top prospects to try to get a bat. And you end up getting Derek Lee and a non-waiver deal, right? Mm-hmm. Or waiver yep. deal, waiver deal. I think it was like, yeah, like a late, uh, that was in maybe September, September or, yep. or late yep. August. That was a waiver, waiver trade. Um, so TP tells me he's telling them at midseason. He's telling Sherholz. He's telling Freddie. Bobby. He's going, let's just call up Freddie Freeman. He goes, this kid is ready. He goes, don't trade our top prospects. This kid is ready. Just put him in there and let him play. And they were like, he said, Sherholz told him, no, nah, we're not going to do that to that kid. We're not going to throw him in the middle of this fire, in the middle of this playoff race. They didn't want to do it. TP said he had this debate. He wanted to bring him up. He knew he was ready. And then they bring him up. TP says, holiday deep. <laughs> and he goes in his first game. I don't remember if it was first game or not. That's what TP remembered. But I remember the home run. But he, at Philly, he goes in there, hits, takes holiday deep. Into the bullpen. What, right center, yeah, to the bullpen. Yep. TP said, he's running a bay. Even before he got back to the dugout, TP said, I looked at him in the dugout and I go, I told you guys we could have had that for three months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that opened everybody's eyes because that was when Holiday was unhittable. Yeah. And it, when you when you do that off Roy Holiday, and he, I think he took a cutter in, which was Holiday's kind of signature pitch, but he hit it at probably 450 before the balls were flying like they were. Right. I think that opened everybody's eyes. It was one of those towering, majestic it shots. Was a bomb. Too. Yeah, it went into the visitor's bullpen up top. That place got silent that night when he did that. It was like, yeah. well, he just did that. Who's this kid? <laughs> Roy Holiday. He just took deep. But those are kind of the moments that that really shock you and, and make you take notice too. Because if you do it off of Ricky Nolasco or somebody that's a good major league pitcher, it's right. one thing. But when you do it off Roy Holiday in his prime, who's I think he went on to throw a no hitter in the playoffs that year. You know, you you watch that and you think, all right. If he can do that to Roy Holiday, you know, we might need to take notice here. TP said he would text him last night and then he would wait a few days probably and call him, you know, let him unwind with his wife because he knows he'd be bombarded with every with messages and demands. But he wanted to call him because he said he just wants to tell him that uh, he said from day one when he first came to the big league camp in 2009 or 10, he said he couldn't remember. What, it was 2009, I remember. It was the, he, he and Jay Hill were 19. But he said uh, – uh, 18 or 19. But he said – uh, I, he just, he hasn't changed. TP said he's that person he's grown up, but he hasn't changed because I just want to let him know that I saw that type of stuff in him when he was younger, but it's just great that he was able to win the award. He deserved this award. TP's like, just loves that guy, man. Yeah, everybody does. So he, Chipper's final two seasons overlapped with Freddie's first two full seasons in the majors. Um, and, Jones was uh, Fr- uh Chipper was an all-star both in his age 39 and age 40 seasons. But he won his MVP at age 27 in his fifth season. And he had only one top 10 MVP finish in the 13 seasons that followed. Including an eighth place in what? 2001 and a sixth in 2007 when Chipper hit 2337. 29 bombs and a 102, 1,029 OPS, 
at age 35 in 135 games. He wasn't playing every day at that point. I mean, he was getting some breaks. But so so he didn't have, people don't realize, he didn't have any of the top three finishes and all that after the MVP year. Just had some really good years, great years even. Just less than, you know, 135 games, whatever. Won the batting title that year when his power was not quite the same, but he won the batting title, what, age, age 38, whatever it was. So, but he thinks Freddie's different, like you did, like you said. Freddie's got one year, eight million, uh, one year left on his eight-year, one hundred thirty-five million dollar contract. Nobody thinks it'll be his last year with the Braves, because he has said, and the Braves have said they want to make Freddie wants to stay here for his whole career, like Chipper did. And the Braves have said, Alex Anthopoulos has said they want to make that happen. I think they've already talked plenty. It wouldn't surprise me if it comes any day now. It might not be till next year, but it's also not going to surprise me if it happens this winter. Uh, they'll keep it quiet until it's announced because both those sides can, are, are are good at it. I mean, it just pop right. up out of the blue, but everybody yep. knows it's going to happen. Yep. But Chipper said uh, was talking about. I was talking to Chipper about how you get that MVP and it's that black ink on the right side of your you know right yeah. column in Baseball Reference. That helps when it comes to voting for for uh, if there's even borderline for Hall of Fame because when you look at a guy was an MVP, it means he was the best player in his league. Yeah. You know. You look for those top finishes, top five finishes. You want a guy to be a top one of the top players in his league if he's going to be voted as one of the greatest players of all time. And that helps. And, and Chipper said, there's no doubt. It's certainly a feather in his cap. The silver sluggers, the gold gloves, obviously, that comes into play as well. But there's nothing that tops an MVP. Obviously, if he goes out and helps them win a championship in the next couple of years, that'll be another feather in his cap. But you know if the Braves are going to do that, Freddie has to be a big part of it. He said, it's like back in the day, if someone wanted to represent the National League in the World Series, they had to come through Atlanta. They had to come yeah. through me. They had to come through Andrew. They had to come through the big three. And if the Braves are going to get to that, to where they want to go in the next couple of years, teams are going to have to come through Atlanta, and they're going to have to get Freddie Freeman out. I feel like, really, he is just peaking. He said, if he could stay healthy, what is he, 31 now? He goes, my peak years were, this is Chipper talking, my peak years were kind of 27, 28, 29, 30, and he's doing it at 31. And he's kept himself in great shape, even through the COVID stuff. He looks great. He's strong. He's quick. He's playing good on defense. I mean, I really feel like he's got a few really, really good, good years ahead of him. Yeah, and another thing about him is he's not playing a position that beats the body up. Yeah. You know, he's playing exactly. first base. So, with the DH possibly coming, possibly yeah, coming, which soon. could help extend and take some take some mileage off his joints too. Yeah, I I was talking to Chipper about that too. You know, Freddie McGriff played first base his whole career, basically. Yeah. You know, DH at the very end. But I think Chipper, I think Freddie's like that too. I think they're similar guys, and they keep themselves in great shape. They're tall, lean, uh, beautiful swings. I think uh, Freddie can play first base at least till his mid thirties. You know. And then if they can get another first baseman to come along, who knows? This Bryce Ball kid they got in the thing, maybe maybe one of those guys, maybe Bryce Ball becomes a DH though. But uh, Freddie's going to want to be in the field, exactly. And he's and he's a Gold Glove first baseman. So as long yeah. as he can play the position, you're not going to move him off first base. So I don't think that'll happen until he's maybe 37, 38, unless he has a, a, a catastrophic type injury. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe my gauge is off because Fred McGriff hit 493 homers and he's he's had a hard time getting in. You yeah, know? it should um, be in. There's no no excuse for him not being in. I don't know. I, I just I look at players like Freddie and I can think, you know, if, if he's one of the best players in the game, the only thing he's, that he hasn't locked in yet is longevity because that's just something that just, you know, you have to 
play it out over your years. But yeah, some of the guys that don't get in are the only reason I look at it and think there's a slight chance he didn't. But when I watch him, and I think that's one of the best players or maybe the best player I've played with, especially while you know he was in his peak, it's insane to think there's even a debate with a player as good as Freddie that he'd get into the hall. Yeah, and everybody says that to play with Fred McGriff too. That that you know, uh, I think it hurt Fred McGriff because he played on a World Series championship team. Yeah, I think that, uh, he went to the World Series a couple other times. I think what hurt him is bouncing around to, to several teams. I think yeah. that that plays in people psychologically or whatever. They think about that. You don't identify him with one team. If Fred McGriff had played his whole career with the Braves and put up the numbers he did, jeez, man. I mean, his numbers are crazy good. <laughs> 493 homers. Never a sniff of, of steroid accusations, nothing. Great character like Dale Murphy and Freddie Freeman. Um, and and if it wasn't for the strike, he'd have 500 homers. No yeah. doubt. Yeah. So, yeah, that's just a shame. He's, the guy belongs in the Hall of Fame. But anyway, Freddie Freeman, I'm with you. He only has to play another three, five years at this pace, and I think he's in for sure. If he doesn't get in, then I don't I don't know anything. <laughs> Especially if he wins a couple more gold gloves, although I don't think he needs to win more gold gloves to get in, but it always helps. But uh the interesting thing about Freddie, how his his peak seems to be coming a little later than most at an era with skewing younger and younger. Yeah, because now they've adjusted. Yeah. Now they're calling the peak years what? 25. 24, 24 <laughs> to 27, 28. Yeah. Freddie's peaking now. Four of his high five highest OPS seasons have come in the past five years in his ages 26 to 30 seasons. Yeah, and you look at who he had hitting behind him. You know, I mean it's that's another thing that's impossible to measure, but the first time that he's really had a, a legit just can't mess with me type of, you know, slugger behind him was, was Donaldson last year. You know, there, there's been good hitters behind him, but nobody that you had to make that choice. So I yeah. think Freddie got pitched around and, and he, you know, every time you play a series in your pitchers meetings, there's kind of this talk where it's like, you know, who, who's the guy we're not going to let beat us. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure Freddie's been that guy for six, seven years now in the Braves. And, and you had this choice where you didn't have to let him beat you. You could just kind of pitch around him and then take your chances with whoever was hitting behind him. Mm-hmm. This was the first year where, or last year was the first year where it was, you know, if you pitched around Freddie, then you got a guy on first for Donaldson. So Freddie got pitches to hit and you see what he can really do when he gets pitched to. And they still pitched around him this year, yep. even with Ozuna leading the league in homers. Yep, they made that choice a lot this year. And Ozuna made them pay more than anybody, more than Donaldson did. Ozuna made them pay a lot. Big time. And you have to have that for Freddie to to get to. There has to at least be a discussion. You know, it just can't yeah. be. It can't just be we're not letting him beat us, and we're going to pitch him real careful. It was like what David Ortiz said back in the day when when they talk about his numbers. And he said, you know, you don't understand that I get everybody's best. Mm-hmm. He's not hitting in the seven hole where you kind of take him for granted. And, and it's the same thing with Freddie. Is yeah. Every single team has pitched him as tough as they possibly can because they know how good he is. And th- these are the first couple years where they've had to make a decision. And, and you've seen how, how much of a difference that's made. Hey, I just saw the stats from that 2017 year you're talking about where he broke his wrist. Yeah. Talk about MVP pace. He was hitting 341 with 14 homers and a 1209 OPS in 37 games through May 17th that year. Then he got hit in the wrist by that fastball, broke his wrist. Uh, Didn't have to have surgery. Got back, came back like two or three weeks sooner than most people expected. Seven weeks. He came back. He wanted to play the Astros, I think it was, uh, series right before the break. So he came back and played before the break. Came back too soon from that, just like he came back too soon this year. But – uh, 
he didn't he didn't get his power back that year. He didn't hit. He ended up, you know, after hitting the twelve early homers, I think he ended up ended up hitting what ten more the rest of the year. But mm-hmm. and then the next year the power was down a little bit, even though he had forty four doubles. The following year he had thirty eight homers in twenty nineteen. But that was the year of the last month of the season he had the bone spurs, so he didn't hit. He had one homer in September. So yeah, two thousand seventeen was his first uh, season not hitting in Turner Field. Yeah. So this year was a reversal of that in that he started off slow because of the COVID thing. Um, this year, the pace he set this year, uh, you know, through through what, through the, uh, the until he had the double and home run against Toronto and that's in, in the third, 14th game. That was when he really started going. And after that, he had more doubles and extra base hits in the 40, in his last 47 games than anybody else had in the majors all year. He OPSed over twelve hundred in that span, forty-seven games. So I mean, he was pretty. He was phenomenal after he got after he got his legs back under. Yeah, yeah he was. So, yeah, they can't. I think it's a given that the Braves resign him because they have to. There's going to be so much. They want to too. I mean, they obviously everybody wants Freddie on the team, but they have to. They know what a PR. Uh, you know, they can't lowball him because they know he's not going to demand the highest contract or anything. He's going to just ask for something fair. Well, and, when a guy's been who he's been and been the kind of just the character that he's displayed and put up yep. the numbers and he's already made it known that he wants to be here and yep. pretty much everybody knows a fair deal gets it done. Yeah. Then you, if you don't resign him, then everybody's going to know you didn't offer him anything even close to, you know, what he's worth. Right. That and looks bad. And I think it's fair to say that he's the most I know uh like for instance everybody loved Greg Maddox. I mean nobody is phenomenal and 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 who didn't like John Smoltz. But I think it's fair to say that Freddie is the most universally popular player. I mean everybody revered Chipper, but the most universally popular player both for his personality and for his performance at a time when he wasn't surrounded by some of those years by many great players. I think he's the most popular player this team's had since Dale Murphy as far as just everybody liking him. Everybody. On and off the field. There's not a lot not to like. Yeah, exactly. They got really similar personalities too. I mean, yeah. you meet them and you like them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not hard. So, it's you know, it's it's shocking how many athletes struggle being likable. But <laughs> yeah, he's got it down. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting. The next few weeks are going to be interesting. Um, and uh, you know, as far as still flying, kind of below the proverbial radar, it's kind of crazy to say that about a guy who's. Right now in his career, 10 full seasons, he's hit 295, 383 OBP, 509 slugging, 342 doubles, 240 homers, 858 ribbies in 1,406 games. He was the NL Rookie of the Year runner-up to Craig Kimbrell that year in 2011. Four-time All-Star, has a gold glove, two silver slugger awards, but and he had four previous top 10 finishes, including career best fourth place. But I think if you asked before this, this year at least, before the MVP year, if you ask the average fan around the country to name the top five players in baseball, I don't yeah. think any of them would have said Freddie outside of uh, the NL East maybe and, 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 and Brace country. Now I think some will. Yeah, I mean, that's the same kind of thing that happens to Mike Trout too. You know, it's, I'm not blaming. Everybody knows he's great. Everybody knows he's great, but they don't know how great he is. Right, right. You know, I, I mean, he's <laughs> probably one of the best players ever. I, you know, it's – that's kind of one of my my problems with the way the game's kind of promoted is is they're shifting now to more of like the let the kids play stuff. But I don't know, maybe that's just the 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 
the way baseball players were raised too was to downplay everything and all the act like you've done it before stuff. But if Freddie did more, just if he had more antics, I know he'd be thought of as a better player, which is kind of a shame. Uh, Jose Abreu, another kind of underappreciated type yep. player, kind of uh, off the radar, won the AL MVP last night. So it was that kind of year. He said he got asked about uh, Freddie afterwards on a Zoom call, and he said, uh, Freddie Two said first he's an excellent baseman. player. Yeah, he said he's an excellent player, a great player who has been consistent with his production. And even though I don't know him personally, I know because others have told me he's a great person too, a great human being. I respect that. I respect him. And when you see a player like him do the things that he does, and at the same time, he's a good person, well, you feel very happy for him. That was from Jose Abreu. Easy to root for. Yeah. During the, uh, during the postseason, uh, Dansby Swanson was asked about, I think it was during LCS, was asked about Freddie and kind of, kind of not being known as one of the, the superstars in the game, even though he really is a superstar at this point. And Dansby said, every day he's the same guy, whether he went 0 for 4 or 4 for 4, he's the same guy. He goes about his work the same way. And I think that's something that often gets overlooked these days just because consistency can get kind of can kind of get boring to some extent. Yeah, exactly. But consistent, but he's consistently very, very, very good, and his ability to do that each day is something that everybody else on that on the team strives for. And it's hard to be a stable team when you don't have consistent, stable performers. He said he's somebody that does that each day. It doesn't get overlooked in our clubhouse whatsoever. That's kind of the easiest way to explain it. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. Uh, Acuna also was asked about him during, during that LCS before game seven. Uh, Freddie had a couple of homers, six ribbies, three doubles in the LCS. Acuna said, ever since he got to the big leagues, he's always been, ever since I got to the big leagues, he's always been a leader. He's always been the model of consistency. So I'm not surprised at all to see him play in this way in a postseason. We've all just kind of grown accustomed to it. He's got the numbers, MVP caliber numbers, and then he won MVP. So. So his teammates are thrilled, man. I mean, this is the guy they all wanted to see do it. Well, it feels that much better when you feel like a guy isn't getting the credit he deserves and you watch him day in, day out, and you can say this is one of the best players in the game and, and you don't feel like they're getting that that credit, and then you see him finally win an MVP. You know, you just feel that much better for him. Snit said before game seven, you know, people were asking about Freddie, why he was doing so much better this year than last postseason. Snit said, because he's healthy. This year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, arm's not broken. You know? <laughs> and Snit said he hoped that they would get to the World Series because he wanted the world to see yep. how good Freddie is. Yep. He was asked to quantify how much Freddie meant to the team. And Snit, this is when Snit got a little emotional. He said, I don't know that you can. That's how big it is. His presence and who he is and what he means to the organization – on the field, in the clubhouse, off the field, how he represents the man that he is. It's hard to do that. It's hard to do that because that guy is some kind of special for all of us, probably me more than most. He said, I lean on him. I mean, we talk. I've been with him for so long, the ability to bounce things off him. It's good for a manager to have a leader like that and a presence in the clubhouse that you can talk to. I'm comfortable talking to him about anything. It's hard to quantify what he means to this team and this organization. Yep. Um, and and just the last thing from from uh, from uh, Chipper was talking about uh, about Freddie winning MVP because because I mean when you throw a team on the back and lead them to a victory time and time again and you get within a game of making the World Series, 
Yeah, that's instant credibility. That's street cred. And that MVP is something that they'll never be able to take away from. Guys, let's take a quick break and then we'll finish up the show. Moving on to another matter. Did you see uh, yesterday, you probably noticed that uh, Perry Menagian with the uh, the Braves assistant GM was named the Angels GM? Yeah. yeah. It's pretty big. I think it's bigger. A lot. It's one of those moves that a lot of fans are not going to know, you know, just how significant it is because he's one of those behind-the-scenes guys. But anybody that's on the team or a coach or works in the front office will tell you this is pretty big for the Braves, a pretty big loss because Perry Manassian, man, this guy is pretty special. He's 40 years old, and I've never talked to many guys who know more about the game, the ins and outs, but at the same time have their have the pulse of the team. He's like one of the guys. Yeah. One of the boys club, to put it for lack of a better word. And I don't mean that to mean derisive. I mean that in a good way. He's really in with the players. He knows exactly. He talks to the players every day. But at the same time, he keeps one foot in the in the analytics room. And he knows everything about analytics and all that, too. This is a guy that grew up, literally grew up in the game. He was eight years old. He was a bat boy with the Rangers because his dad was a clubhouse manager of the Rangers. So he grew up in that atmosphere, became an uh became a bat boy, then became a uh, 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 15 years he spent in the clubhouse as clubhouse manager with the Rangers. Then he became a scout, and he was a scout and a special assistant for Buck Showalter because he was a former Rangers manager. So he kind of came up that way, which you don't have many players or many uh, front office executives come up the way that he did in the game these days. That's probably why he has, you know, that credit and has such good feel for, you know, like you're saying, yep. the pulse of the team is he's been in a clubhouse, even even if he was young, you know, he's been in the clubhouse yep. and seen a lot of the things that, that people don't want to give credit to and, and that you can't measure. Um, having that experience and, and understanding how to value team chemistry and leadership and all that. I mean, that's I didn't realize that about him. That's pretty important. Yeah. And when I say he's a great communicator, that's an understatement. This guy is one of those guys, you know the type, that can talk to anybody. Yeah. I envy guys like that yeah. that are comfortable and they make people want to talk to them and they can talk to anybody. I mean, this is, he's a cool guy, but he's just got that easygoing personality. But he says stuff that you want to hear. I mean, he's yeah. got stories about everything. I mean, stories about Bo Jackson betting him on stuff. Bo Jackson became, he became friends with all these visiting players at the Rangers too, because he was, you know, in his teens, early teens, mid teens. So he got to know all these players. So he's got all these great stories and he stayed in contact with all these guys because they all like him because he's a cool guy. So he's as well connected uh, at all levels of baseball as probably anybody in the game right now. I mean, he knows everybody. And his brother is a is a uh, was a, his brother was a scouting director for another team too. His brother's the same way, grew up the same way he did. So they were both steeped in it, man. It's a baseball family. Must have been raised well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stud evaluator was a scout. Uh, you know, with the with the he ended up being with the Blue Jays, and that's where he met uh, uh, Anthopoulos. He was their scouting director. You know, and they go to the what ALCS two years in a row. So he had some. He was part of some big, uh, big signings, trades there, drafts, all that. So he knows the game at every level. He's kind of worked at every level. I think if the Angels, uh, you know, they 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 talk to some bigger names, some guys that have more experience. But I think they made the right hire. This is a guy that can really, if anybody can turn that around out there, 
this is the guy because they've got the resources. Obviously, they just need to get some pitching. And man. you got now Mike Trout. Able- you know, it's it's yeah, a shame yeah. that nobody's been able to build. I mean, maybe that just speaks to how hard it is to to be a baseball yeah. GM. But nobody's been able to build a winner around Mike Trout. And that was a huge mistake. The Pujols contract, obviously. I mean, it was a, it, it, nobody knew he was going to fall off quite this this bad. Maybe, except maybe the Cardinals. <laughs> maybe but they finally get his his money off the books. Finally, so. What one more year or is it over now? Is he got he's got one more um, year? I, I would guess there's another year left, but that's it, and that comes off the books. So, uh, you know, they just got to get some pitching. They've got to get some pitching, and right now they don't have any. But Perry will get it done, man. This guy will get it done. He'll make some bold moves, and uh, and he'll get the most out of his guys. I'm sure he's already met with uh, Mike Trout. <laughs> I'm sure he's probably sat down with him already. Yeah, and it, I mean know, that's that's probably that's most important. Yeah, you, that's good for baseball too. If they build a winner over there, I mean, you know, it sucks for the Braves to lose a guy like that, and it's it's yeah. impossible to measure somebody's impact in those jobs. You know, you can only really tell what when they're an actual GM, what their moves mm-hmm. are, and everything. But if you look at what a great job AA's done, I mean, you got to assume he's been a big part of that. Huge part of it. Um, AA is super smart. I mean, he's one of the smartest guys I've met. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, he is really smart. But this guy was his right-hand man, and AA is smart enough to delegate and, and have guys do. I mean, that's one of the great things about Anthopolis as a GM, that he knows where guys, what guys can do some things maybe better than he can, and he delegates. He's not afraid to let guys do 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 the work that they do best in. So, And this guy did a lot of – was involved in, in basically every big decision that he made. So, yeah, I'm looking at Pujols, by the way. He's got one more one year more left. Year. yeah. 30 million. (laughs) And then he's got a $10 million personal services contract that begins once that contract ends. How many years? Oh, oh Oh my God. A lot. (laughs) Well, you know what though? Credit to the Braves for letting him go and letting him have a career. Cause a lot of times teams will kind of block guys and not let them interview for jobs and things like that. You know, that, that, yeah. and that's another thing that just speaks to the, to the class of the Braves organization. Alex has said all along, if a guy's got a, got a chance to, to further his career, Don't he'll let any team, any team interview his coaches. If he's got a managerial opening, he'll let anybody, anybody, he won't block anybody if they got a chance to further their career. Keep hoping Wash gets another shot to manage. Man. You know, not only did the White Sox, you can say that they passed on A.J. Hinch, maybe because they, they thought there would be some bad. Yeah. I think they're stupid, but they passed on him. They hired La Russa. They could have they interviewed Ron Washington, man, and they hired La Russa, and they say they hired him after finding out about the second DUI. <laughs> uh, Unbelievable. I just, you know, I think about all the stuff that's going on with that Tim Anderson guy and I, how great it'd be for him to have Wash to – Oh, to just God. work with, and that'd have been a great job for Wash. For self, for selfish reasons, I'm glad they didn't. Yeah, because he's so but great for, for the Braves. He's great for the Braves. He's great for us. Yeah, but he's great for the Braves. He's great for Braves infielders. Just look at their just look at their infielders, the development they've had. But uh, and then the young kids coming up. I mean, he's invaluable. If you want to know but, how big uh, Wash is, Marcus Simeon, I think he won a Gold Glove last year. Or came close. He couldn't field a ground ball to save his life when he got called up with Oakland. I mean, every time the ball got hit to him, everybody held their breath. Major League shortstop, you know, playing playing every day. Yeah. Wash had this guy 
out on the field at two o'clock every single day. He didn't win a gold glove, but he had, I mean, he's a lot better at shortstop now. But mm-hmm. Wash had him every single day at two o'clock doing the stuff you see him do with Ozzy and, yep. and, and Dansby. Riley and Dansby. Uh, yeah. I mean, this year. Wash is such a great coach. It, it would definitely suck to lose him, but I, I do think that's cool that the Braves wouldn't be afraid to let him go if, if he got that opportunity. I'm always pulling for him. Uh, people ask me who, how they'll replace Perry. He's got such a unique kind of set of skills. Like I'm talking about the personable, the communicator, Can't replace uh, him. steeped in scouting. And they have so many assistant GMs and person and, uh, and, uh, special assistants that I think they're going to kind of divvy up his duties among those guys, especially right now with the budget crunch. It's yeah. not really a time to go out and, and hire somebody for a couple hundred thousand bucks, you know, yeah. <laughs> with, with the way they're trying to save money wherever they can. I think they'll divide his duties at this point and see where they are and see if they need to replace him because they could, that's the kind of move you could make at any time. But right now they really don't need to kind of replace Yeah, him. and there's not a lot of big moves to be made this offseason. You know, I think Ozuna's probably the biggest question of whether you do it or not, no doubt, which, man. you know, I don't think they will, but I'd love it if they did. If they got the DH thing settled in the next two or three weeks, yeah. <laughs> which I have no reason to think they're going to, but if they did – that's a that's a no brainer to me. Yeah, you at least make a great offer four years, for Zuna. Yeah, yeah, four years, a hundred million. Yeah, I don't I don't know if that would do it. Three years, uh, ninety million. I think that's probably a little high. I'd go about twenty five million for him. Yeah, yeah. I think the only the tough part is the Mets got that new owner. That's I think he's going to yeah. spend some money. There's and if the DH because you know if you're a Zuna and you you're going to wait for the DH thing if you think there's any chance it gets settled and there's any, even any chance it's going to happen next year. You wait because all of a sudden you're going to have about ten more suitors than you would right now. Yeah, I mean, if you're the players' association, you're saying we're not doing the DH unless you guys start spending some money this off season because that's you know that's the leverage they have, I guess. But yeah, I think but that, if you're the players' association, you want to get it done because it it means so much money for a lot of a guys. A lot of guys. Like yeah, yeah. I mean, it's this off season is uh, it's a, it's going to be really ugly. I'm sure you were glad that. Uh, Happy to see them resign Josh Tomlin, right? Yeah, God, he's worth it just for the advice he gives young guys. Yeah, but he, but he was damn good in his relief role before they moved him to the starting role midway when they had, when they felt like they had to. He's invaluable. His numbers, out of the pen. His numbers were great yeah. out of the pen this year. Still, yeah, he, I mean, he saved the bullpen so many times. I, I think that's a great signing and low risk. I mean, you know, it's it's not like one you're year, breaking the bank with him. One year, one point two five million. That's a one million dollar salary next year. Then a one point two five million dollar option in twenty two with a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar buyout. Yeah, that's yeah, very it's got to feel great for him, especially you know going into this offseason, not knowing, having any clue what to expect to get that wrapped up early. He can just work out and know where he's going. I mean, he earned it, but good for him. Because they lose, you know, right now they got free agents. They got Melanson, they got Shane Green, they got O'Day because they didn't pick up that three million three point five million dollar option. Uh, they could resign one or more of those guys, but right now they don't have them. Um, you need to have a long guy. Tomlin gives you that. If that's how yep. you want to use him. They're good, and they don't. They they plan to keep him in the bullpen next year. They're not yeah. looking at him to come no. in and try out for fifth start or whatever. He had a uh, people look at that high fours ERA and think, oh, he kind of fallen off. But as a reliever, he had a two nine five ERA and a oh nine two seven WHIP and twelve relief appearances this year. Yeah, you could you could a, throw him in, you know, in the eighth inning in a close spot, and he's not going to be overwhelmed. Which yeah, and you don't want him setting up, but. It's nice to have a long guy that that can do pretty much everything too. 
Yeah, he had a 6.33 ERA and 1.453 whip in five starts. So that ruined, bloated his numbers. Yeah. But uh, strikeouts to walks as a reliever, he had uh, 20, uh, he had 24 strikeouts, four walks, and 18 and a third innings as a reliever. Yeah, no, he was he was great for the team this year. I think we talked about that a lot, but it, yeah. that role, man, that if you have a bad long man and you're up by or you're down by six in the third inning and the long hey. man comes in and can't even get through yeah. an inning, <laughs> that hey. screws your whole pen. If his salary had been five million this year, worth it. He earned that just in the improvement yeah. that AJ Mentor yeah. had, and then Kyle Wright. He's the one that told Kyle Wright to go to the uh, to the uh, to move over on the pitching rubber. Oh, I didn't realize that. Oh yeah, he's the one that told him that down at uh, down at the uh, satellite camp. So two guys. Yeah, you know, like a mentor, night and day. Like we were saying last episode, how Rick Ankiel gave me a tip on my slider. You know, those veteran uh-huh. guys, it's it's impossible to measure. But you have actually two guys giving him credit on paper, saying that like, this guy changed my season. You might want to bring him back. Yeah, I mean that's that's two guys, and it could and there were and there were tons more guys who got little tips here and there that we don't even know about. Yeah. You know, but that's two guys that went out of their way to credit him. Yeah. Mentor, he might have, he might have changed, he might have, he might changed his whole career. (laughs) Yeah, he certainly altered the path of it. Yeah, but another year like Mentor had the year before, and he would have been signing a minor league contract with somebody. Yeah, and now he's a key part of what they got coming back, back into that bullpen. Yeah, shit, he right now he could be sharing closer duties next year with what they got right now. Uh, He's ready for it. That the way he pitched this year. So, uh, what they've got right now. I mean, you could go into the season with the bullpen they have right now to tell you how deep it was last yeah, year. Yeah, feel you decent. Feel, you know, and still have a decent bullpen. Yeah. But I think I'm pretty confident they're going to add at least a piece or two, bring back one of the guys that, that that's left as a free agent or sign somebody else or trade for somebody else. But And they've also got some guys coming up. One or two could be ready. So, but uh, I think that also, some of that also rides on the Azuna decision too in that, I think they're going to scale the payroll back a little bit this year. It would have been 158 million last year if uh, not for the proration. And I think you're going to come back. The original plan was to raise it this year, but I think with a with the 100 million or so that they lost last year, yeah. I think they're going to like a lot of teams are going to cut back a little bit this year. And you got to decide whether you're going to throw what you have a big chunk of it at Ozuna or not because if you're not, then all of a sudden you got money to either trade for another guy you know, like a jock. I'm I looking at a guy like a jock Peterson and Brantley could come in. If you're not going to have a DH, could come in and possibly platoon with Duvall and give you, in effect, a big bat in left field. Mm. Uh, or do you throw a lot of the money that you might have at an- bringing in another arm for the pin, bringing in another starter, whether that be a Wainwright, who's not going to cost a lot of money, or aim a little higher for bringing in another starter? There's a lot of ways you could go with it. But uh, I talked to somebody, uh, a couple of guys in the organization, actually, that hope they don't bring in a big outfielder because they don't want Drew Waters to be either involved in a trade or be blocked. They think Drew Waters is that close that he's going to be pressed. He's going to press the Braves, force their hand by midseason. They think this guy can be an impact guy along with Pache, because Pache, I think, is going to be in center field one way or the other to start the year, whatever they have to do with Ender. Well, he looked good in the playoffs. I, I wouldn't be afraid, but I don't know, yeah, man. I mean, you just too. you can't replace what Ozuna meant to the lineup. Uh, I just no. You had a good thing going. Can't. Keep it going. You can't. 
You can't. And that's why I think, I mean, you can fill out the pin with Melanson and, and fill out the rotation with Wainwright without breaking the bank and go for Ozuna and, and feel pretty good about everything. Yes. <laughs> about your team. Yeah. I like that. Um, even if you had to fill out the pen with somebody lesser than Melanson, I, th- I still like it, what you just said. But if for some reason you can't get a Zuna or you don't want to play him in the outfield or whatever, let's, let's assume Duvall can have the year he had last year, and especially in a platoon role. Imagine platooning him with, if you look at Jock Peterson's platoon numbers, those two guys combined. I'm not saying they're a Zuna because they're not, but those two guys combined in a platoon behind Freddie. How about that? Does that work? I don't think so. That not for me yeah. because Jock's lefty. So you know you're gonna you got back to back lefties that makes it easier exactly. to match up and makes it and, a lot and do all that. It's just something about Ozuna, man. The presence back there and the damage he was doing. I don't know that there's any way to, especially with what's on the market. I don't know if there's any way to replicate that without signing him back. And I don't either. It was such a crazy offense this year. I mean, it personally just fun to watch too, knowing your team's never out of games. I think you'd end up having to, you'd end up uh, not with one permanent guy behind Freddie, and one permanent guy really is nice, like Josh Donaldson. It's Oakland. different. I think you'd, I think you'd end up having a guy like matchups where you have Darno hidden behind him, games where Darno's playing, and there's Matt. You know, is Darno going to hit like he did this year? If he hits like he does this year, then he'd be fine behind him. But you know, you like him in that cleanup role where he was last year. But Freddie's not going to hit second if there's no DH. So yeah. Also, just not knowing what the hell Ozuna's going to do, man. I mean, like just he's, you just don't know what he's going to do when he gets in the box. I mean, he could pull, he could dive out and go the other way. He's got power to all fields. It, there was just something about him that that made him really threatening behind Freddie that I feel like Freddie just got so many more pitches to hit this year. Yeah. I mean, I, that's ideal. It's the ideal. The ideal situation yeah. is – they decide in, in two or three weeks, a month even, that they're going to have the DH and the Braves, you know, sign Ozuna for three years and $75, $80 million. That's ideal to me. Yeah. Ozuna's not, he's not old at all. No. And he got and he got in great shape last year. So, I mean, I think him hitting behind Freddie for the next three years. Oh. Uh, and, you know, you, you, I know you talk about – There's your Freddie's Hall of Fame right there. Yeah. <laughs> well, just when you talk about blocking guys and all that stuff, it's – I know Waters could be good, but you know what you got already and you right. got this window well, you, what, you don't know how long this window is going to last and the team's so damn good right now they were so close i mean why not go for it well that's what's ideal about having the dh is you're not blocking waters yeah. you know what i mean yeah that's true then you don't have to block him then he can come up and you could have you could you could even work him in with uh with uh duvall yeah you know so We'll see. We'll see how it goes. But are, are you know, or work them in with Pache? Who knows? Uh, you know, I think they're going to want to play Pache most every day. But we'll see. I want to see him and play Waters every day after the playoffs. Waters switch hitter, but he's much better from one side than the other. So, um, let's see. Uh, right now, just real, real quick. Right now, the bullpen they have they retain four strong late innings pitchers. Right now, you got Will Smith, AJ Minter. Tyler Matzik. So you got three lefties. That's rare, man, <laughs> as you know. And and Chris Martin. Yep. Got to like all four of those. Yeah, well, that's a good – that's enough, you know. Yeah. I, I, I guess well, so, you know. Tomlin if, is a long guy. I think Luke could have a, back, a bounce back year, you know. Yep. Um, yep. But when you look at – Newcomb could have a bounce back year. You never know. I think he will. I think he's just – you just throw him in the pen and don't ever toy with it again. Let him get comfortable. Let him stay there and just say, you know, his mentality, the way he pitches has just worked better there. That's that's where he needs to be. I'm sure he so wants a chance got, to start, but – Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, so what? Yeah. You got you got Tomlin, you got out of options lefty Grant Dayton. So that would leave two spots if you assuming you have Dayton back. And you would have Jacob Webb. Webb, that's a big one. To me, he's in there, but he's got options. So you can have send him back and forth, whatever you want to do. And Nuke also has options still. So then you got guys like Luke Jackson, Tuki Toussaint, and let's not forget. Huascar Enoa, he's got to be on that staff either as a starter or a reliever to me. This guy's good. We're having him and Tomlin too. You know, it's yeah, two long guys, two guys that if if you wind up having to use Tomlin tonight, you still got a guy you feel real comp- confident he could go multiple tomorrow. You know, you, you never put yourself in that position. And I don't know, man. I look at the formula they had this year, and I think if you just keep throwing that exact same formula out for two or three more years, as as close to it as possible, you're going to win a World Series. Uh huh. Hey, just real quick, one thing, uh, Jason Stark had a real good column about some numbers, some great numbers. As always, Jason Stark does these numbers better than anybody from the season. And uh, one of them was the slumpers, the slump. Everybody, one GM talked about the psychological challenge of coping with slumps in such a short season. And we talked about that a lot, too. If you got off to a bad start, how you're going to try to be digging yourself out and you're not going to have that much time. And I think it really played in some people's heads, which made Freddie's season all the more impressive. But look at some of these numbers, man. Here's what these guys were hitting on August 15th, right? Eugenio Suarez was hitting 123 with a 378 OBP, but a 396 slugging. Christian Yelich on August 15th, 172 with a 284 OBP. Jose Altuve on August 15th, 175 with a 250 OBP. And Chris Bryant, 196 on August 15th with a 315 OBP and a 391 slugging. Here's where they finished the season. Eugenio Suarez hit two. Remember how, how huge a season he had in 2019? He won Rookie of the Year. Right? Yeah. Yeah, he had a big year. Huge bombs, man. Or no, and he wasn't he wasn't rookie of the year. He was uh No, but he hit like 39 or he hit a lot of home runs. Right. He was a silver slugger award winner. Because rookie of the year was our, our boy in uh Alonzo. Mm-hmm. Um but uh here's where he finished though this year. Eugenio Suarez, 202 with a 312 OBP, 470 slugging. So he's what 782 OPS. Christian Yelich. After we thought, after the years that he'd had back to back, I thought, okay, he's established now. This guy's going to be there for another five years or whatever. He hit 205 this year with a 430 slugging percentage. Again, under 800 OPS. Jose Altuve, as big a star as there's been really in the last, what, five, six years or close to it, he hit 219 this year with a five, he had a six, under 650 OPS. Well, think about the pressure he was under, too, to prove that, yeah, you know, that that cheating wasn't why he's good. You know, I mean, he was facing all kinds of pressure. He didn't prove it, did he? No. The pulse, the thing under his uh, jersey? Springer did, though. But, yeah, I mean, that's this whole thing. You just look at the – there's just not time to fix it, so guys start pressing. You know, you you see it a lot of times with guys once they get guaranteed deals or – arbitration the first time their careers take off because all of a sudden they have time to fix things and they're not worried about getting Uh sent down. It's the same thing with even an MVP caliber players looking at that 120 up there and knowing there's only a month left. Now you start getting way more aggressive and pressing and trying to do too much. I mean, baseball is such a mental game. It it makes perfect sense why it would throw a lot of guys off. 
and Chris Bryant. Remember, everybody wanted uh, Chris Bryant. Yeah. Not just the Braves, but people want, thought he was a missing piece for a lot of teams. Put you over the top. He hit 205 this year with a 293 OBP and a 351 slugging percentage. Yeah. Chris Bryant. Yep. What, 644 OPS is that run turn out to be? Yeah. God, man. Crazy year. Which, now like now he's said, probably glad they milked his uh <laughs> his service time. <laughs> he's not a free agent. Uh and then the other team thing we talked about was uh Teams getting off to fast starts, to slow starts, how it would never be more important. That worked out because teams that got off to slow starts, hardly anybody made the postseason. They got off to a bad start in the first 12, 15 games. Um, Marlins be it. If Marlins did not get off to a bad start, they just didn't play. Because once they played, they won. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there was the other thing was what it meant having 16 teams in the playoffs. And how many teams were in this thing till the end? Uh, on the, when the games began on the final day of the year, there were still 18 teams were still alive. One AL executive told Jason he wasn't as big a fan of the intrigue as a lot of people thought because he looked at the standings and he picked out teams like the Angels and the Mariners who weren't very good, but they were still alive in late September. So he pointed out how difficult it was for teams like that to make a rational judgment on whether they whether they were good or not, yeah, and and what they should do, looking for the future. You know what I mean? Yeah, I can see what she's talking why about. Why we're saying the trade deadline would be so weird. Yeah, and it was. It was. Hardly anybody got moved. That was hardly anybody was available. Yeah, guys that should have been moved too. Only guys that were available were the guys that were available, like for Cleveland, because they didn't want them anymore for yeah. reasons other than <laughs> yeah. performance. Um. And, and this guy, this guy told Jason, this exec told Jason, the good news was that every game was meaningful, but it was a weird setup because it felt like everybody had a chance to get to the playoffs. If I remember right, with 10 days left in the season, the Angels were three games out of the playoffs and three games out of the third pick in the draft. <laughs> he said, that's just strange. That's weird. That's, I mean, that's part of what, you know, kind of doles the whole the whole regular season in, in basketball and football when half the team's getting in, you know, half the league's getting in, you see teams with losing yeah. records make the playoffs sometimes, you know, that doesn't feel right. Um, and, and it was also a good point made on the DH because a lot of people like me have changed their minds on the DH. I was as anti-DH as anybody. And now I don't really mind it, man. I think it, 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 you know, I didn't miss pitchers hitting this year and I didn't felt like it really made the games just simplistic or took out, strategy that I missed so much and all that. I really didn't. I thought overall, I kind of liked the games the way they were played this year, but it was pointed out one guy, an AL front office guy told, uh, had, had made a great point to, uh, to Jason about one of the big pluses of this, the NBA big topic with the NBA these year, these days, load management. There's no designated three point, you know, shooter in the NBA. So, so Steph and LeBron, they have to like go off the court altogether to have a load management day, right? But in baseball, the DH gave it gave teams a way to give guys a break, a day off, in effect, or at least a breather by DHing. So there's so you so players so fans that they didn't come out this year, but when they come out with in, in the future, they're not going to have to worry about uh, Marcel Ozuna or Freddie Freeman not being in the lineup some days because even if Freddie gets a day off like he did this year some days, he was still in the lineup at DH. Yeah, and, you know, the same thing with that extra inning rule saved a lot of bullpens. 
You know, I mean, I think that there's, there's exactly. been goods. I didn't like any of it because I just, I didn't want change and, and you know the game, you know it. But, you know, I mean, it's, it, I'm not against any of it now. You know, it didn't, it, I'm with you. It didn't bother me at all. And, and the one I thought I could, I thought was, was, uh, was total Bush League when I heard about it. I'm like, I can't believe they're doing this in the major league. And I've totally changed my mind. The runner at second base to start the 10th inning. I like it. I actually like it. I know. It. And I, I hated know. the idea. Well, I like it watching. I don't know how I'd like it, <laughs> it, it as a player, it, but I, it's it's a lot better to watch because so you know something's going to happen sooner. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas before you go into the post, you'd go into those extra inning games and you got past the 10th or 11 and you're like, oh man, we're in for a long one. We're going to be we're gonna 15, go six, seven 16. innings before yeah. somebody's going to make a mistake finally and somebody's going to hit a home run. But if you think about it, it's not really baseball a lot of times for about five or six innings. It's just a slog, you know? Through yeah, a wet night I think it changes the approach too. In the stands. You know, guys not trying to hit that that home run, they're yep. not swinging for the fences. Yep. It almost forces a little bit more situational baseball. And get in the game, but to come back in the game, I think too. Teams weren't doing it though; it was surprising. They're gonna have to though. Yeah. This spring, think about that. If they know now what they knew after having seen it, yeah. Don't you think teams are gonna work on bunts a lot more this uh, spring training? I'd hope so because there were so many times where I'm like, why don't you just bunt here? And then the next guy hits a fly ball to center field, and exactly, exactly. I'd see a guy like Dansby or Ozzy up there, and I'm going, he could bunt and probably get on base himself. It, With speed. Well, I force him to make a play. It, the the thing is, yeah. is it, you know, the bunt when a runner's on first, out. when a runner's on first, no outs, and you bunt him to second, I never right. minded that as a relief pitcher because I could just pitch around the next guy right. and set up a double play. Right. But you you can't do that with a runner on third, one out, because yep. regardless, they're trying to hit a fly ball. You know, I mean, I like it a lot with that runner on second, no outs. I couldn't believe more teams didn't do it. Yeah. And I think it's something the Braves will work on. Snit admitted after the season, he goes, I still don't know what's the right thing to do with there. I love that he admitted Well, that. yeah, but the other <laughs> part of it is guys can't get bunts down anymore. <laughs> yeah, they don't work on it. They don't work it. They're on They're going to have to yeah. work on it. It's something you might want to. And it's hard, too. It's no, a it's lot hard. harder to get bunt down against a guy throwing 100-mile-an-hour fastballs chest high. Yeah. You know, and sinkers. <laughs> and sink 98-mile-an-hour sinkers than it was when guys were throwing – 88 to 90. Yeah. You know? Well, it's funny because we used to bunt every day in spring training, but you'd bunt off this machine and it's <laughs> it's throwing 70 right down the middle and it's easy to lay bunts down. But then one day we bunted batting off. Batting practice pitcher. No, batting practice pitcher. Once they started moving the ball around, man, I couldn't get a single bunt down. <laughs> you know, it was hard. Chuck Hernandez was carving me up and I'm just trying to oh. lay one down. But would you say what one day you what? Uh, Chuck Hernandez one day was throwing him live to us from like 50 feet. He was throwing 40 miles an hour, but he's spraying him all over the place. I couldn't get a bunt down to save my life after getting like a hundred in a row down off the machine. So I mean, it's hard, but it's something that that it, I think if with that with that rule in effect, it's something that yeah. there's a ton of value in. If you can have a guy that you know can get it down, now you got to run on third one out. You need to fly ball to win the game. On the extra inning rule, the runner at second base. Jason said he'd vote yes. He said, I cast that vote weeks ago. But he said, but if it means anything, every exec I surveyed for this column would also vote yes. Damn. He said, one NL exec said, I was 900% against it when it first came out. I said, this is just bullshit, hocus pocus. But the more I got to watch it, the more I enjoyed it because it created strategy more than anything else in the game. If you asked me which rule I'd keep, this or the three batter rule for relievers, there's no doubt which, which I'm keeping, which, which way I'm going. <laughs> Agreed. I totally agree with that. 
Three batter rule, eh, at, at good, good and bad. But this rule, runner at second, no doubt in my mind I'd keep it. He said from another exec, I was a big fan of this rule even before this year. I remain a big fan. It makes for good baseball. It makes for a better game after extra innings. And you know what I like best about it? Yeah, you're putting a runner on second, but we're still playing baseball as opposed to the shootout in hockey or soccer where you're not playing that sport anymore. This is still baseball. Great point right there. Yeah. Yeah, it's Great just different. Point. It's There's nothing wrong with it. It's just different. And everybody's playing the same roles. Yeah, and you could argue you're playing baseball more old school baseball than you're playing in actual baseball nowadays. Yeah. First of all, I mean, it's, it's going to put value back into that small ball. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything that will bring that back, because I don't think anything else would bring that back, <laughs> especially nope. if there's no pitchers bunting. <laughs> no. <laughs> the butt might go the way of the dinosaur if you don't have this two, this runner on second rule and you don't have pitchers bunting anymore. It pretty much already has. You might see a bunt once a year for some teams, if that. God, we never saw a brace bunt this year. It was like two or three times it felt like all year. There was there were so many times in the playoffs where I thought it was going to happen and the teams God, didn't do it, should, and it shocked should've. me, and then it didn't work, and I was just like, why didn't you bunt with a guy hitting 234? Uh, there were a couple times the brace had where like Ozuna, or, or like not Ozuna, Okunia was up. Yeah. Not Okunia. I'm talking Ozzy. I'll get it right. Obvious. Give me a couple where Albies was up, and I'm like, God, Albies is so fast, man. He's switch hitter. I thought a couple of times that I thought this is ideal, you know, where they're playing him. If he could just drop a bunt down, just push it over that way. Just push it to that side, and he's got a, he's on base. Automatic. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it forces the defense to make a play, and, and it puts pressure on the pitcher to throw strikes. When you see a guy square around a bunt, and you start running to home plate because you know he's fast before you finish your delivery. You know, I mean, it's just a way to stir it up, but we'll see. All right, that's it. We've rambled on for long. I know I've rambled, sorry. Uh, but there was a lot of stuff going on. So hopefully it'll be something close to this in coming weeks. I think there's going to be a lot. I don't know if anything's going to happen, but there's going to be a lot to talk about at least with all these rules being considered and DH and how slow or fast the market's going to be. I think we both agree slow. it's going to be slow. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the shocking contracts we might see guys taking late. <laughs> that might come later in the winter. Late, late, late. <laughs> The smart guys are going to jump on the money while it's there early if there's offers made. Yeah, I think so. But I, say, I don't know. I mean, Azuna's got to wait. But guys, anybody toward the end of their career get, that gets any guaranteed money right now needs yeah. to take it ASAP. <laughs> All right. Well, we appreciate you uh, hanging in there with us on 755 is Real, but we are out.